Okay, we're going to continue on uh, today. I appreciate so much um, uh, Mike and uh, Dr. Dan for uh, filling in while I was gone. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you heard from missionary Dan Chetty, who told you a little bit about Lebanon. Uh, Mike uh, filled us in some on, um, interestingly, having to do with the mask uh, here this last week and what it means to, uh, to really not focus on that, which is where we tend to look, but what it means to worship God. I also want to thank Todd and Tom for helping out as far as the service goes. Um, as pastors, one of the things that is reassuring to us is knowing that when we're gone, that there's good folks that are stepping in in our absence, and so I appreciate that more than you guys know. But as of today, we're going to move back into we have been looking at entitled Living the Dream, and by chance this is your first Sunday with us, what we've been doing is we've been examining those qualities and characteristics that help us to live more fully uh, who God wants us to be, who God desires for us to be, who God created us uh, to be. And as we embrace these these characteristics and, and integrate them into our life, not only do we end up glorifying Him, not only do we end up furthering the power of His kingdom, but we find our own spirits invigorated, rejuvenated um, as disciples of Christ. Well, we've looked at a variety of different qualities that we have examined thus far. Here's a, a few of those. We've talked about faithfulness and the importance of, of remaining consistent in our walk with God, of perseverance in the good days and the bad days, of, of recognizing that we're in a partnership in this with the, the Holy Spirit of acknowledging our need to keep anger in check, even though it, it can sometimes rise to the service, of, of being a people who live moral integrity in the midst of an immoral society, of acknowledging the importance of being in communication regularly with our God through prayer, of being good stewards of all that God has entrusted to us, whether it be time or talent or treasures, of, of rising above the, the societal standard of mediocrity, and instead to pursue excellence in all areas of our life, to recognize that there's two paths that await us in eternity, uh, and to know what those two paths are and which path that we're on, uh, to see that, that in an appropriate way that there's to be a fear of the Lord, which, which means in part a respect to God, but also a, a sense of, of apprehension if we're walking in disobedience to the teachings and truths that he's conveyed to us. And then about three weeks ago, we looked at this weird word called deference, which we don't use very often, uh, but the concept is basically uh, that idea of putting others' uh, needs before our own. Well, this morning, we're looking at a different word that will be familiar to you because it's one that's been referenced really uh, throughout history, uh, that the quality that we're going to be investigating today is this, uh, this idea of wisdom. And it really is something that's been pursued by people, uh, not just godly people, but all people, almost from the beginning of time. You look throughout history and you see that, that whether it be uh, courts of royalty or whether it be uh, institutions of various empires, Almost always there's a desire to have men, sometimes uh, women in the ancient days that would be there that could provide wise counsel, good thoughts in the midst of, of sometimes what are not uh, such great uh, ideas. And so we, we as, a, as, as a species have always valued this idea of wisdom. And we see that continued on in our society today because there is no shortage of people out there who want to provide counsel and direction and insight to you. 
All you have to do is turn on the TV in the course of the day, and there's lots of people who, who want to tell you how to better live your life. A wise individuals like Oprah and Dr. Phil and Judge Judy and Jerry Springer and the, and the host of The View and all of these people who, who either want to tell you what they have gleaned or, or will bring on experts to tell you how to, to live life to its fullest or how to gain greater wealth or how to raise your kids or how to improve your marriage or get that dream job or, or even how to remodel your home on a shoestring budget. There is no shortage of of counsel that has been uh, promoted out there. The question is, of course, is it good counsel? Just having an abundance of counsel isn't, isn't the answer. Um, a number of years ago, an individual by the name of Samuel Taylor Coleridge wrote a book entitled The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, truly a classic and at one portion in this book, he talks about um, the, the difficulty he's facing because he's on a, a ship where they have run out of drinking water. And at one stage in, in this book, he writes these words, um, water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. Water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink because uh, this individual on the ship is surrounded by ocean water. No shortage of water, it's just the wrong kind. It's salt water, and, and as we know, that salt makes it toxic to us as human beings. In fact, we're better not to drink it, even though we might be parched and, and literally dying of thirst than to, to ingest that into our system. And I think there's some truth in, in regards to, uh, to a wisdom as well. We can be surrounded by, by counsel out there, but that doesn't mean it's healthy counsel for us. We need to be discerning. Otherwise, what ends up happening is, is some of this counsel that is not good counsel slowly poisons and kills our, our body and our soul. It looks so promising. It sounds so good. I'm sure for this sailor out on the ship, it, it looked like there was all kinds of water out there. It looks promising, but in essence, is nothing but harmful to us. So how do we avoid this kind of wisdom and embrace the, the kind of wisdom that is good for us, that helps us? Well, I, I think one of the, the premises that we need to operate off of uh, is, is first that recognition that, that knowledge is not the same thing as wisdom, though I think that oftentimes we, we operate under that belief that if we're, we're really smart, if we have a lot of intelligence, that that necessarily makes us wise. And we don't have to go very far or, or look in too many directions directions to see that there's just a great fallacy to that. Now, I think intelligence is a wonderful thing to have, but that doesn't necessarily make us wise in the, in the way that we live our lives or, or counsel others. And I could have come up with any number of examples or illustrations of this, but, but let me just reference a couple in our time here this morning. Uh, two individuals here. The one in the upper left-hand corner is a gentleman by the name of Jonah Lehrer, He's a journalist, and at age, just by the age of 31, he'd, he'd seemed to have kind of accomplished it all. He, he had written some books. He was a well-known author in some of the major publications out there, the Wall Street Journal, Journal the, the New Yorker. I mean, he was uh, just thriving in his profession. But then he committed uh, what was almost the impardonable sin in journalism uh, circles, and that is that he was accused of and actually found to be one who was plagiarizing. What made him different is that he was plagiarizing himself. You see, what he was doing is he was uh, pulling uh, chapters or pages out of previous 
articles that he's written or books that he had done and was placing them in current works that he was in the midst of. And I suspect that, that his peers probably would have extended him some grace, might have, have largely overlooked this, except that after all of this came to light and a, a big to-do was made over it, he apologized, said it was just lazy journalism on his part, he would never do it again. Well, about three months later, he released a book on which he yep, plagiarized previous things that he had done uh, in, in other uh, writings. Was this gentleman, was Jonah smart? Obviously, very intelligent. Was he wise? No, he was not. Uh, the gentleman on the, the bottom right-hand corner there is an individual by the name of General uh, David Petraeus. Now, General Petraeus uh, was a four-star general. Um, uh, obviously, a kind of a, a soldier. Soldiers had thrived under military leadership. You can tell by all the ribbons and all the medals on his on his chest there, that, that he had accomplished uh, quite a bit in his life. But he wasn't just a good soldier, he was also very intelligent. In fact, so smart that he was ultimately uh, promoted uh, to leading the CIA. Now, we, uh, of course, know about the CIA in our country. Uh, we know that it is that place that's kind of in charge of secret things, clandestine kind of activities. If anybody that should know about secret stuff, it should be... Uh, David Betrayus is the head of that. However, uh, not too long into his tenure in that role, it was discovered that he was having an affair. An affair in which uh, he uh, sadly also was sharing some secrets, uh, some top secret information, uh, doing it with a, a woman who was also a, a journalist. And she wasn't a spy. She wasn't trying to get this for foreign powers, but she was trying to get this information to advance her own career. And the way that they were able to find out that this was happening was the fact that uh, General Petraeus was, was using unsecured servers for his emails. Now, I am not a uh, computer expert, but I, I know enough to realize you've got to be very careful about those things in today's age, as Hillary Clinton and others have discovered. Um, you have to be very cautious about that type of, of thing. And if anyone should have known that you, you've got to be very particular in, in the sources that you use, and, and there are free or almost free tools out there that you can access to help prevent that, if there's anyone that should have known that, it was General Petraeus. And yet, while he's a very intelligent man, he certainly was not very wise, at least in this situation. So again, what we discover is that there's, there's not a direct correlation between intelligence and wisdom. Now, that's not to say that, that, that knowledge is, is not valuable in the pursuit of wisdom. I came across one definition in, in preparing for this morning that described wisdom in this way, at least earthly wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to understand or to make a decision based upon knowledge, experience, and intuitive discernment. And I think that's a pretty good description. I think if we were to, to tap into those things, we probably would, would make uh, more wise than unwise uh, decisions in life. And yet as, as valuable and as important as it is to, to have wisdom, earthly wisdom in, in our existence, there's something that's even better, and that's godly wisdom. That's heavenly wisdom. That, that, that supernatural wisdom that, that God alone can provide for us. Because if we look to earthly wisdom... Then, then the knowledge and the experience and the intuition we're talking about is limited to what we have lived. If we're talking about heavenly wisdom, then we tap into that knowledge, that, that experience, that, that presence of the Holy Spirit of, of God himself, the creator of the universe, 
And so as we, as we think about this, this idea of, of wisdom, we, uh, we realize that it's important to have, uh, but that we come across it really only as we seek it out. In a general sense, wisdom is not something that just naturally occurs. We have to, to kind of pursue it in order for us to, uh, to make it a part of our lives. And yet, surprisingly, most people don't. Most people just continue on in the existence day to day as they, they had before. And, and we have, a, sadly, a, a glaring example of that in, in just the events of this past week as we look at what took place in Afghanistan. Here we had an event that we knew was coming. We knew that we were going to be withdrawing from Afghanistan. So we had the the smartest, the best educated, the most experienced minds in our government, which makes them some of the, the most intelligent in the world. They had months to plan for this. And yet, I'm, I'm not sure it could have been done more poorly than what we have seen. It's just been kind of a debacle that has unfolded there. Uh, so if those who are, are, are the wisest and the smartest can't pull that off, uh, how do we have hope of making that happen? Well, I, I think it occurs as we, as we seek, as we draw on uh, the insights from others. There was a great quote I came across that said this, Wisdom is the reward you get for a lifetime of listening when you would have preferred to talk. Uh, part of the problem is, is, is that sometimes we, uh, we are not nearly as wise as we think because we were too, uh, too quick to speak instead of to hear from others. And when it comes to, to genuine wisdom, uh, good wisdom, godly wisdom, uh, what we have to do is, is to simply petition God for it, and, and he'll provide that. Uh, we're told that very thing in, in the book of uh, James, the first chapter with these words. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, I, I do need to mention that there's, there's sort of a caveat that goes in this, and a little bit later in James uh, 3, James talks about the fact that if you ask for things and you don't receive them, it's probably because you're wanting to use them for your own benefit, your own pleasure. God provides for us as we desire to promote his kingdom, to, to exalt his name. But if we'll do that, if we'll live lives that are committed to trying to, to build up the name of Jesus, as we just heard on this song of making Jesus the center, then God will give to us. He'll give to us wisdom. This passage becomes, a, in essence, a promise for us. Now, as we talk about wisdom, it's important to recognize that I think there, there really are two kinds of wisdom that exist in our world today, at least according to Scripture. There's earthly wisdom, and then there's heavenly wisdom. Earthly wisdom is described for us, again, as we look to the book of James in the third chapter with these words, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth, for such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and unspiritual and demonic. That's sort of a terrible trio there that, that this passage ends with, earthly, unspiritual, dem demonic. I don't think we want that to, uh, to be descriptors of the kind of wisdom that we have. And yet I do think that that is indicative uh, too often of the wisdom that the world embraces. Uh, not too long ago, there was an author by the name of Robert Greene who wrote a best-selling book entitled The 48 Laws of Power. 
He interviewed a, a number of CEOs and CFOs and, and individuals that had been very successful uh, in, in the world. And he, he, he compiled this list of 48 laws that, that helped move them up the corporate ladder, that helped them to, to achieve the, the, the dreams that they had, to acquire all of the wealth that they desired, those kinds of things. And on the surface, that doesn't sound bad. Who doesn't want to be successful in their lives? Where you run into some problems, though, is when you begin to read what those 48 laws were. Now, I don't have time to reference all of those, but let me just mention a few of them this morning. I'll put some on the screen and others of them. You'll just have to listen as I read them out. But here are some of the 48 laws that he says leads to power in this world. He said this, never put too much trust in friends. Instead, learn how to use your enemies. Always conceal your intentions. Court attention at all cost. Get others to do the work for you and always take the credit. Avoid unhappy and unlucky people. Learn to keep people dependent on you. Crush your enemy totally. Create a cult-like following. Uh, discover each man's Achilles heel, for everyone has a weakness. Be sure and strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. Now, I don't doubt that these are, are words of wisdom in the sense that if you do those, you can probably advance within a, an organization. But how do these align with what we read about in terms of what God desires for us? Well, folks, there is no alignment. They couldn't be much, uh, much more polar opposite of what God calls us to be because he calls us to be a people of humility. He calls us to be a people of compassion. He calls us to be a people who look to the needs of others above our own. And it certainly does not fit with the things that Mr. Green discovered. In fact, I, I kind of summarized his philosophy with one of the quotes that's taken from his book that has to say this. I hate to tell you, but the real fools in life are the ones who take the values of decency and morality too seriously. I think he probably would add godliness and righteousness to that as well. Can we have too much decency in our world? Can we have too strong a moral base? And so if it's just wisdom that we're looking for, all oh, those sources out there, we, uh, we can look through those. Those are readily available. But it's not just wisdom, it's godly wisdom, I, I hope, that, that we're pursuing, that we're desiring in our lives. And, and how do we find that? Well, James gives us insights in this, the very same area. Going back to that third chapter of James, we read these words. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Uh, first and foremost, what we discover is that godly wisdom requires us to look to the right source, and that source, of course, is God. We need to look to Him. We need to lean on Him. We need to trust in Him. Uh, we need to be familiar with His Word. This is a, a great resource for us in, in knowing God and the things that are important and significant to God and that He would have be important and significant uh, to us. I read in, in one of the, the, the articles I was using these words, the chief downfall of finite man 
is to try to understand and engage the universe apart from an infinite God. If we try to do it on our own, we can try to solve problems, we can kind of try to come up solutions, and, and, and we can uh, look at economics and science and all of those kinds of things, but it ignores really the, the root problem, the core problem for us, because that, the core problem is that we are a fallen and rebellious people in need of redemption. And sadly, if, if we're looking to human wisdom, what we see is that the arrogance of that uh, prevents us from seeing what uh, that ultimate problem of the human race is. That's why uh, preaching uh, of the cross is so foolish to those who, in essence, are foolish themselves. They just don't realize it. And so we see here that we're, we're given a list of those qualities that, that, that accompany godly, heavenly uh, wisdom. And, and I've got it noted out here. I, I, let me give it just a, a quick comment on each one of these, though I can't spend too much time. It, it says that we're to lead a, a godly life, a good life. You know, even for those that are, that are not Christians, I think as, as people look at individuals, they, they tend to classify folks into one of two categories. Either that's a good person or that's not a good person. When people see our lives, what do they see? Do they see uh, individuals who are living a good life or are we described and viewed in other lights? It says that we're to be a people who are pure, pure in our thoughts, pure in the words that come out of our mouth, pure in the actions uh, that that dictate and and describe who we are. We're to be peace-loving. Now, that's not something uh, that we tend to see a lot in the world today, because at least in my experience, uh, it seems like we live in a time where everybody's itching for a fight. It takes so little to set people off today. And yet in the midst of that, of that, of that call or, or that, that, in that environment where people are so quick-tempered, we're to be peacemakers. It says that we're to be considerate, thinking of others above our own needs. That's not a real popular thought today. We're to be submissive. That's even less of a popular thought today. We're to be full of mercy. Again, not something I see talked about or demonstrated a lot in today's world, or I hear a lot about vengeance or revenge, or maybe a harsh, a harsh dose of justice, but, but mercy? Don't hear too much about that in today's world. We're to be impartial. We're to be uh, in, in fair and, and uh, lacking in prejudice as we undertake actions. We're to be sincere. And, and then at the bottom there, it says that we're to bear good fruit. We're to bear good fruit. Uh, for those of you that have, have uh, been here before, you know, I have a neighbor um, who is a great gentleman. He's in his 90s. He lives on his own um, takes care of his place uh, uh, by himself. And when we first moved into the house that we're, we're at, I was so excited because in the backyard, right next to the fence separating our two yards, he has some apple trees. Now, you know I love fruit. And so the thought of fresh apples in the fall was so exciting uh, to me. And what made it even better? I didn't have to take care of them. They were on his property, so he had to take care of them. I just got to enjoy the benefits of that. Unfortunately, this dream um, did not come to fruition, no pun intended, um, because virtually every apple that's on that tree is either filled with worms or has blight on it. 
Now, because I enjoy fruit, I, I made offers a couple of times to, to help out with that. I said I'd spray the trees in the, in the spring. I'd be willing to cut back and prune the branches so they would uh, produce well. But uh, the, this very nice neighbor is, is very concerned about the environment and so doesn't want any chemicals uh, put on the trees, and so that's just not going to happen. But the point I want to make here is, is those trees that are filled with worms and blight, those didn't require anything special for that to happen. He didn't go out and buy boxes of worms and place them at the base of the trunk so the worms could crawl up and, and infest the apples. He didn't get leaves of, of blight and scatter them around the, uh, the, the trees. That just came as being a part of this, this imperfect world in which we live. And I think the same is true in regards to wisdom. If we just want wisdom, it's out there, but it's going to be flawed. It's going to be like that wormy apple or that, uh, that blighted tree. It, it, there's, there's plenty of it there. We don't have to do any work for that. It comes at us, as we talked about at the very beginning. But if we want good wisdom, if we want godly wisdom, that takes some effort. If I wanted to have good apples, somehow we would have to treat those trees. Somehow we would have to do some pruning. It would require some effort for that to be accomplished. As, as Christians, if we truly want to tap into and, in, and inculcate into our lives godly wisdom, it takes some effort on our part. We do have to know this book. We do have to know what it says. We do have to live out its principles in our lives. And, and folks, these principles are in increasingly contrary to the principles of the world. It's not an easy thing to do. But the difference it'll make will be astounding. And so the, the question ends up for us, as it uh, often does, as we uh, look at our sermon time uh, together, which of these things are we going to choose? Earthly wisdom or godly wisdom? Uh, Stories told of a of a, a group of archaeologists in England, just outside of London, who were excavating some ruins there, and about 10 feet down, they came across some, some remnants of copper wire. That was a great surprise to them to find that that far down, and they dated it and discovered that it was about 125 years old. Their conclusion, after looking at the setting in which it was found and so forth, was that it was connected to some kind of rudimentary communications network utilizing telephones, which was pretty surprising because telephones were only invented about 130 years ago or so. Well, uh, being Americans, we don't want to be... Uh, um, overshadowed by anybody, and so about six, seven months later, there was a group that was doing archaeological work just outside of Boston. They dug down 20 feet in their excavation, and lo and behold, they came across some remnants of wire. They tested them. These remnants were 150 years old, and as they looked at the setting and so forth, they came to a similar conclusion that, that this wire was, was tied in with some very basic telephone network that emerged right after the telephones were invented. But of course, we had that knowledge and technology 25 years before the British, so we were smarter than they were. It was just one month after that that one final publication came out. This one, though, was out of Australia. It came uh, from the Department of Minerals and Energy in Western Australia, and they put out the following. After digging to a depth of 30 feet, 
in Western Australia's Pilbara region. Jack Lugnow, a self-taught archaeologist, reported that he found absolutely nothing. Jack had therefore concluded after careful study that 175 years ago, even before what existed here in the U.S., that Australia had already gone wireless. <laughs> Folks, we can find individuals, we can find websites, we can find experts, we can find people out there who will support us in any kind of belief that we want to have. They'll give us thumbs up, they'll give us pats on the back, they'll say we're, we're on the right track. If you just want someone to affirm what it is that you, you already believe, there's, there's no shortage of individuals that will, will do that for you. But if you want true wisdom, if you want authentic wisdom that will guide our lives in a direction that not only builds up and enhances the kingdom of God, but brings far greater joy and contentment and peace to our lives, then we need to look to the source of that wisdom, which is God and God alone. Let me wrap up by reading for you just one last passage. It's taken from the book of Proverbs, the third chapter, and it says this. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she, wisdom, is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing you desire can compare with her. May God lay on our hearts as disciples of Jesus Christ that yearning, that desire to pursue this kind of wisdom, that kind of wisdom that guides our lives, that kind of wisdom that hopefully impacts our society, that kind of wisdom that nothing else can compare with. Uh, we're going to wrap up with...